Hello, my name is Nick Hatton, and welcome back to another episode of the PS Plus. Okay, I'm joking. My name is actually Miles Cheadle. Uh, Nick Hatton, our previous host, just wrapped up a nine-episode series on biblical finances. So if you haven't, I want to encourage you to go back and take a listen. I mean, he hit a home run. The content that he laid out was so practical about how we can best steward our finances for God to get maximum glory out of our lives. This is a new episode of the PS Plus, and the PS Plus is a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another podcast called The Postscript. Now in that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week speaks with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. And here on this podcast at PS Plus, we'll explore more focused topics in a series format, and the goal is to try and dive in a little bit deeper and a little bit shorter. Again, my name is Miles Cheadle, and by way of a short introduction, I'm currently a student in the Living Faith Bible Institute and a member of Midtown Baptist Temple. And I'm so thankful for the instructors and the content that I'm learning from LFBI. It's made it so that I don't have to shy away or avoid any part of my Bible. And while I'm not scared of any part of the Bible, I do have a particular love and fascination with all parts that speak about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're so lucky to have content and classes that explore the person of Christ from so many different unique angles. Off the top of my head, I think about classes like New Testament Survey 1 or The Life of Christ, where we literally get to walk with Jesus through his earthly ministry and learn from him. Or classes like Systematic and Dispensational Theology, where we explore the doctrine surrounding the person of Christ. There are even classes like Daniel and Revelation that deal with the second coming and near return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so needless to say, the LFBI explores the person of Jesus Christ from different unique angles, from different pastors and professors, and from different books in our Bible. And yet this content continues to blow my mind. And so you'll be stuck with me over these next few episodes or weeks or months or however long they let me hold on to this microphone as we start a new series dealing with the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And today, we will commence this new series by starting as all good stories do, in the beginning. And while most surveys of Jesus start with his birth, which is the natural place to start, the first thing to note about Jesus is that he is supernatural. Because of this, the incarnation, Jesus Christ putting on flesh, has nothing to do with his beginning. Today's episode will deal with the pre-incarnate Christ. That's right, y'all. Jesus Christ existed before he was ever born. Just let that sink in. And I know some of us are thinking back through all the stories that we read in the Old Testament and feeling fairly confident that you never ran into the name of Jesus until you hit the bold, all caps, New Testament page leading into the book of Matthew. And that's actually a really great point. I mean, you would be right. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a biblical precedent for his pre-incarnation. And so today, I'll attempt to shed some light on this by looking at proof texts in the New Testament, biblical examples from the Old Testament, and by just considering the broader theological implications of this position. So put your thinking caps on and let's do this thing.
In the New Testament, we find four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And each of these accounts offer a unique vantage point of his life and ministry. And we're going to spend some time in the coming weeks laying out the unique perspectives that each of the four Gospels presents. But as we consider the eternal nature of Christ, we'll find ourselves spending a lot of time in the Gospel of John. You see, in the Gospel of John, we're introduced to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And the focus of John's Gospel is the deity of Christ. And one of the things that we learn is that Christ's deity and his eternality are two character traits that are intimately connected. And because John's account emphasizes his deity, we find some significant insights here about his eternal nature. And we don't have to go any further than John chapter 1 before encountering one of the most incredible statements that we find in our entire Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Immediately in John chapter 1, we're tied back to Genesis chapter 1 and the creation account. And with this, John wants to establish something very important about the study and story of Jesus, a framework that the reader needs to understand and can't be ignorant of. Though Jesus put on flesh in Matthew chapter 1, according to John's gospel, his story didn't begin there. Jesus' existence can be observed from the beginning. He is the first cause. He was with God. He was God. In Genesis, we see the beginning of all things. Space, time, matter, and the reality that God was. These are huge concepts that the Gospel of John is starting with. So the Apostle John begins his Gospel by pointing back to creation. And by verse 15, we're introduced to another John, John the Baptist. And although Jesus was physically born after John, we find this in Luke chapter 1, the testimony of John the Baptist in verse 15, is that he that cometh after me, speaking of Jesus, was before me. And again, this is a perplexing statement. John is testifying that though Jesus was born after him, he somehow existed before him. And it kind of leaves you scratching your head. But Jesus goes on to clarify this matter as he begins to speak in his earthly ministry. By John chapter 6, Jesus proclaims that he came down from heaven. And by John chapter 8, Jesus proclaims one of the most baller statements in our entire Bible. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And y'all, I'm so tempted just to spend all of our time right here. This is one of the greatest mic drop moments in your entire Bible. I can't wait to get to heaven and just to watch God's home videos. This will be one of those moments that we look back on and just to see the faces of the crowd, completely stunned, jaws hitting the floor. They're so stunned that they can't even stone Jesus. And so one of the things that we see at play here is that Jesus claims to exist before Abraham. And for anyone that's good with a timeline, this is a crazy statement. Because old Abe was strolling around the Ur of the Chaldees a cool, I don't know, 2,000 years prior. And two, Jesus evokes the name of God used in Exodus chapter 3, where he says, I am that I am. This is the name of the self-existent one. This is where God instructs Moses to go tell Israel that I am has sent you. And so in John chapter 8, 
Jesus clearly testifies not only that he existed in Abraham's day, but that he is self-existent and that he is God. This is a clear declaration of his pre-existence and of his deity. And the Jews understood this very clearly, which is why they were trying to stone him. By Jesus equating himself with God, his statements were either blasphemy and punishable by death, or they were true. And so one of the very first implications we find of the eternal nature of Jesus is that on the validity of this claim hinges the reliability of Christ's very words. Now, if you're like me, this brings up some very important questions for us to consider. If Jesus truly existed before his incarnation, well, where do we find him in scripture before the book of Matthew? What was Jesus doing in the Old Testament times? I mean, these are honest and good questions, and they're worth asking, and they're worth studying out. And and I'll give you a disclaimer up front that we don't have time to do an exhaustive study uh, of all the areas in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate Christ exists, but we do have time to do a bit of an overview. And so with this, we're going to begin by looking at the creation account. Again, we already saw in John chapter one that the apostle John references that Jesus Christ existed from the beginning. And as we look at other passages in the New Testament, it verifies this. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things exist. And so here in Colossians chapter 1, we find some very important keys. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so anytime we see a physical manifestation of God, we're actually encountering the person of Christ. Also, before he put on flesh, According to Colossians chapter 1, Jesus was creating all things. He was playing Minecraft. He was world building. He created all things that we see and even things that we don't see. All things are created by him and for him. So when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we start to see nods to the Trinity throughout the entire passage. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 46, it says, let us, plural, make man in our image. And this is speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We find that the unity of the Trinity was present and in agreement at creation. And so with this, the same Jesus that put on flesh and bled out and died for for your sins and for mine, he also created all things and existed before all things. The implications of this are huge. Only an infinite God had the capacity to redeem all of mankind, past, present, and future. If God was perfect but not infinite, he could redeem a life for a life. But how could his blood ever cover everyone? The point here is that Jesus was the source of life from the beginning. All things were created by him and for him. And 
he alone is the source of life today. Again, let me remind you that Jesus' activity in the Old Testament didn't end at the story of creation. It actually just began there. We can go to Genesis chapter 3 and see the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In Genesis 12 or 17 or 18, we see the Lord appear to Abram. By Genesis 32, we see Jacob wrestling this mystery man. And his response is that he saw God face to face. And so we see example after example of the presence of God being revealed in the Old Testament. But one of my favorite examples that we come across is a testimony of the angel of the Lord. Now, we are introduced to the angel of the Lord in Genesis chapter 16. And what is really a terrible situation We have Hagar, a slave that's given to Abram to sleep with, and they are hoping to conceive a child by him. And Hagar is nothing but obedient. And despite following the directions of Sarai, her master, whenever she comes up with a child, all she receives is ridicule. And so Hagar flees for the wilderness. And it's there in the wilderness that the angel of the Lord is revealed to her as a ministering spirit. And similar to how the Lord asked Adam in Genesis chapter three, where art thou? We find that the angel of the Lord begins by asking Hagar a question. And the goal of this question isn't for the angel of the Lord to gain understanding. The goal of this question is for Hagar to gain understanding, to reveal to Hagar where she's at and that she has need. You see, the angel of the Lord found Hagar Hagar didn't find the angel of the Lord, just like Jesus finds us in a lost and hopeless state. And so the angel of the Lord, whenever he comes to her, he comforts her. And one of the most beautiful things happens. He reveals to her his truth. He gives her promises of what would happen and become of her seed. And this brings her to a point of praise and rejoicing. By verse 16, Hagar declares, Thou, God, seest me. What a beautiful declaration. Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seest me? You see, Hagar was seen of God, but she also saw God. And what she gained from this interaction was revelation. God gave her promises that she could now hope in. And this is such a big deal. And so often when the angel of the Lord appears, whenever Jesus Christ appears in the Old Testament, he comes with a word of truth, with revelation that people can now hold on to and hope in. It's such a beautiful, beautiful promise that Hagar has. Now we find the angel of the Lord appear again in Genesis 22. This is a famous passage where Abraham is about to slay his own son, Isaac. And in verse 11 through 12, the angel of the Lord shows up and calls to Abraham out of heaven, stopping him from taking Isaac's life. And by verse 15 through 16, the angel of the Lord calls into Abraham again and says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, 
and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And so let's camp out here for a little bit. First, the angel of the Lord swears by his own name. And and I don't know about y'all, but I would never tell someone that I swear by Miles Cheadle. Well, people just laugh at me because who am I? Like, what do people say? They say, I swear to God. Well, for the angel of the Lord, there was no higher name to swear by. His name alone was powerful. His name alone was authoritative. And so I just find it very interesting that the angel of the Lord begins by swearing by his very own name. Two, he is called capital L-O-R-D, Lord. This word is Jehovah, the Jewish national name of God, the God of creation, the self-existing one. This name is ascribed to the angel of the Lord in this passage. And lastly, he has the power to bless Abraham and his seed. And as we compare scripture with scripture, this act is actually attributed to God. And so the evidence is very compelling. And these references only scratch the surface. This angel receives worship as God, acts as God, speaks as God, and is identified as Jehovah. This is the image of the invisible God. But this can't just be a fun trivia fact. Before his incarnation, Jesus revealed himself in the Old Testament in the form of the angel of the Lord so that he could reveal his will and his word. Just like he did with Hagar, he gave Hagar a promise to hope in. And he did the same exact thing for Abraham. He blessed him and gave him an incredible promise that Abraham could now hope in and faith. And y'all, today, Jesus wants us to understand his will and his word. This is consistent in his pre-incarnate nature, in his incarnation, and today through scripture. He is speaking through his word, and it's every bit as significant and as miraculous as the appearance of the angel of the Lord, or as the appearance of Jesus Christ putting on flesh. In the Old Testament, Jesus revealed himself. Why? Well, to reveal his will and his word to man. And today, he's given us his word that we would know his will and his word to man. Let's try to wrap this thing up with one last area to take a peek at. As we continue to look at the Old Testament, I mean, things just become alive. We start rereading passages in a brand new light. And Exodus 13 is a brilliant example of that. In this passage, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. In verse 22, it says, He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the pillar went before them or that the Lord sent the pillar before them. When you look at the actual words of the text, it says that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, went before them 
in a pillar. In the very next chapter, as a nation of Israel fears for their lives, they're pinned between the Red Sea and the host of the Egyptian military. In verse 13, Moses instructs the people to fear not, to see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you. And by verse 19, the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, went behind them. And he looked at the host of the Egyptians through the pillar and troubled them. And in verse 25, the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them. Isn't this just a crazy passage? God is doing his thing, y'all. In the Old Testament, we see that Jesus fights for and delivers his people. He literally fights the battle for us that would otherwise be our death. And then he lights the path to move forward in his way. Jesus wants to win the victory for you and to guide you. But y'all, the best part is that his presence, the angel of the Lord dwells with them. During 40 years of wilderness, he never leaves them. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night are constant fixtures in Israel's wanderings. And just as he refused to leave Israel, today, his promise to us is that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He is a personal God that desires to dwell with his people, both in the good times and in the bad times. He loves you and desires to dwell with you, to walk with you, and to never leave you. So in closing, Jesus existed before his incarnation. And this is clearly testified in the New Testament and clearly observed in the Old Testament. Jesus existed at creation and is the creator. All things were made by him. He gave life in the beginning and he alone has the power to give life today. Jesus has revealed himself to man from the beginning, giving clear instruction and direction revealing his will through his word. His nature has not changed. He continues to reveal his will and to give direction through his word today. And lastly, from the beginning, we see God's obsession with dwelling and walking with man. He loves us so much that though being in the form of God, he made himself of no reputation and was made in the likeness of man, humbling himself not just to the fashion of man, but also becoming obedient to death. So yes, maybe this is a more abstract theological topic, but it clearly has major implications on our life and our walk today. So thanks again for joining us for another episode of the PS Plus. Please join us again next time as we consider the birth of Jesus Christ. Have a great day.